Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is where we have been journeying up to this point throughout the course of our series. We started with our Father, this idea that that God is a God for all, and that this prayer that we offer up is a communal prayer. It is a prayer that says all of us are in this together and God is our Father together. You and I together that this is our God. Hallowed be thy name. Talissa spoke a few weeks ago about the glorious name of God. That God's name is holy and that we can actually rest in that presence. We can rest in that sense that God wants us to know who he is. That God desires to be known. Thy kingdom come. Hannah talked about the lament of that prayer, of that line, the lament, the vulnerability, and the hope that are wrapped up in that prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And last week, Tracy spoke about God coming and meeting us in our places of desire and in our places of hope, our places of our greatest pain and even despair, that God meets us there in that space and in that place. And today, give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the prayer that you give to us, that we can model, that we can shape our own prayer life after, that we can begin to intersect with you in these ways, and that, that God, you meet us here in this place, that prayer is our greatest privilege and our last and our first best resort. Father, we pray this morning that as we jump into your word, that you would guide us, that you would push us, that you would prod us, that you would give us new ways of understanding, new words, new thoughts, new phrases, new ideas for how we can join you in prayer as a church and as a community. It is in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. What do you need? What do you need? There was a movie back in the 80s starring Steve Martin called The Jerk. It's perhaps one of the strangest, most odd movies that is out there. And if you haven't had the chance to dive into the Steve Martin catalog of movies, The Jerk is probably maybe more than likely not the best place to start, but it's really funny nonetheless. It's about a man named Navin who grew up the adopted son of poor black sharecroppers and made his way out into the world to the point that he struck it big through dumb luck, developing and devising a thing on the end of your glasses that you could then pull off without smudging your glasses or anything like this. It's just a little hook, a handle. 
the omni-grab. On the end of the glasses as you pull them off. Really simple. And he develops this, he devises this, and he goes 50-50 with a guy, not knowing what's ever going to happen. Well, Naven makes his way to the circus, like you do, and he joins the circus becoming the, the guy that guesses the weight in the circus. When all of a sudden, this man comes back into his life and says, you'll never guess what, it worked. We've hit it big, 50-50. You are now a millionaire because this Omni-Grab thing is blowing up left and right all over the world. So Naven is now this, this son of these poor sharecroppers and now all of a sudden has all of the money in the world, everything that he could ever possibly want or desire when all of a sudden it comes crashing down because it turns out that the Omnigrab has started to make everybody cross-eyed. There's something in the design of it that just starts pulling everybody's eyes cross. And now, now Naven is being named in all sorts of lawsuits. He's being sued and he has now lost everything. At this moment, Naven, breaking up with his wife Marie, is now leaving his mansion, is now leaving his house, lost everything under the sun. And he begins by saying, I don't need anything. I don't need you. I don't need this house. I don't need anything except this ashtray. I need this ashtray. And he picks up the ashtray and he begins to walk out. He said, and that's it. I don't need anything else, just this ashtray and, and this lamp. This ashtray and this lamp, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. This ashtray and this lamp and these matches. These matches. I need this ashtray, this lamp, and these matches, and that's all I need. I don't need anything else. Oh, I, I need this, and he picks up something else as he begins to make his way out. And that's all I need. I don't need anything else. That's all I need. And I need my dog, and his dog growls, and he says, I, well, I don't need my dog, right? And he makes his way out of his house, clutching all of these things as what he needs. It's what he needs, and he doesn't need anything else. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place or in that moment where you don't need anything else? I've got everything that I need right here in this place. I don't need anything else, but I need this. I need this hymnal. I, I, I need this, and that's all I need. I, I, and I need this coat, and that's, that's it. And, and this bag, I, I, this is all I need, where we continue to move the goalpost down the line of what a need really is in our life. I have, right? I, I've, I've been there. I've, I've experienced this in my own life. I, I, I need cheaper rent. I, every year that our rent, that our, that our lease comes up due, it comes that moment of looking for another place to live because I need cheaper rent. But I don't need anything else. If we could just get cheaper rent, that would change our life. We would be just fine after that. Or, or I, I need just a little bit more financial security. Just, just a little bit more. Just a little bit. If, if we get this raise next year or, or a new bonus, then, then that's all I need. I don't need anything else. I'll be, I'll be fine with 2.5% more. 
at the end of the year because I don't need anything else. I need more hours in a day, right? But I don't need anything else. Just a few more hours in a day to get done what needs to get done. And that's it. I don't need anything else beyond that. I need becomes, it begins to infiltrate into our prayers. And it becomes more of a wish list that we turn over to a genie God in pursuit of the American dream. I need just a little bit more. I I need just this one more thing, and that's it. You see, this isn't a question of want. This is a question of need. What do you need? We ask kids this. For those of you that are parents, we ask kids this, what do you need? As they lay there on the floor screaming in a tantrum, what do you need? Just tell me and I'll make it stop. We ask it of coworkers who are frustrated with us. What do you need? Just tell me what you need and I'll get it to you so that you can be on your happy, merry way and leave me alone. We ask it of our friends in distress. When they're, they're in pain and they're suffering and they're struggling, we ask them, what, what do you need? What, what can I provide you in this place and in this space that will help provide a balm for your pain? What do you need? This is a question that truly begs us to truly understand ourselves. When that question is directed towards us, what do you need? What do I need? Is a question not of want, but a question that calls us to truly understand who we are and what it is that we truly need. You see, Navin didn't understand this. Navin didn't understand what he truly needed. That ashtray wasn't going to get him very far. That lamp without a house and electricity wasn't going to get him anywhere. His dog that ran away from him, right? He he didn't know what he truly needed at the very core of his being. Because for Navin, he didn't truly understand the depths of his being and the depths of himself. And I'm not quite sure we'd do any better either. You see, give us... This day, our daily bread. Give us is an intense prayer that cuts to the core of our being. It is an intense prayer of understanding what it is that, that is that is crying out from within us to God to help us answer the question deep within of identity, of who it is that we are and of need. Give us this Give us this day our daily bread as a recognition. It's an acknowledgement that God knows what we truly need. And that those two things can intersect together and be present. You see, Jesus couches this prayer that give us this day our daily bread. He couches this prayer in a story. He couches it in a story of the Exodus, a callback to God's ultimate love and God's ultimate character. He couches it with the language that he uses of daily bread. 
In Exodus chapter 16, we find the Israelites had just made their way across the Red Sea. They had been in slavery. They had been in captivity for over 400 years underneath the thumb of Pharaoh, making bricks to build some of the great monuments that are in Egypt today, to build the bricks that would then go to create these massive monuments and these massive structures. And Pharaoh would continue over and over and over again to make it worse and worse and worse, upping the amount of bricks that they had to make every single day. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. And here they are finally freed by God through 10 unbelievable miracles, the 10 plagues that visited Egypt to the point that Pharaoh said, get out just leave, just leave this country, leave these, these people and go, let us be, let your God be your God and let us be our own thing. They had made their way in escape and they had crossed the Red Sea at this moment where they felt like everything was going to end for them as they stood between this giant sea, a people that probably could not swim, Right? Because they were slaves. They, they had nowhere to learn how to swim. They stood at the edge, at the precipice of the Red Sea, with Pharaoh's army charging after them. When all looked hopeless and lost, God said, here we go, whoosh, and parted the Red Sea so that the people could cross, rescuing them, saving them showing his great love and his great protection, showing his character that he would not leave them to die, that he would not leave them alone. And here, in Exodus chapter 16, 15 days into the second month after the Red Sea, 15 days in the second month, so about 45-ish days after the Great Red Sea, here they are, grumbling and complaining that God had left them to die, that God had left them completely and utterly hopeless to die. Give us this day our daily bread was their cry, was their scream. God, you have left us to die because here we are starving. Sure, you gave us some water a couple of months ago, but now we're starving. We have no food left. Give us this day our daily bread. And in Exodus chapter 16, verse 13, that evening, or in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp because God heard their cries. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Gather as much as they need. You see, God knew what they needed. God knew that they needed food, that they needed sustenance. And so God provided in this. But God also recognized something else, that they didn't just need food to survive, that their survival was predicated on the fact that they needed God in this space, 
that they needed God as they were thrust into the wilderness to wander around and to figure out what it was that they were becoming as a people apart from being slaves, as their identity was being formed as a people, God knew that they needed to trust Him, that God would be the one to rescue them always, perpetually, that He was there. God knew what they needed. After generations of enslavement, after generations of pain and frustration and struggle, of anger and of everything, God knew what they needed. Not only food, but trust. Are we any different in our culture of self-sufficiency? Are we any different in our culture of self-sufficiency here and now? Trust yourself has become a mantra within our own society. You just need to trust yourself. And that's all you need because if you trust yourself, you'll be able to figure everything out. Or bootstrap theology, which is perhaps the most insidious of them all. This idea that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that you don't need anyone else but your own stick to your own get it done, your own will and desire that you, no matter who you are and no matter in what position you find yourselves in this society, in this place, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can make anything happen. That's all you need. Trust yourself. You can be self-sufficient. Bootstrap theology. That God helps those who only help themselves. Not found in the Bible. Anywhere. At all. That's bootstrap theology. And it's dangerous. Is this idea that, that God doesn't really care about you unless you make the first move. That God is not going to help you out unless you take that first step. That's not grace. There's no grace found in that whatsoever. This is not who God is, and this is not who we are as people. You see, we too, just like the Israelites, we need this sort of formation in our own lives, this sort of trust built within our own lives because it turns into insidious worship, insidious and ugly worship. The late writer and professor David Foster Wallace in a commencement speech called This is Water said this to this group of students that are graduating. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it Jesus Christ or Allah, be it Yahweh or the wicked mother goddess or the four noble truths or some infrangible set of ethical principles is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. 
worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect. Being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. What do you need? What do you need? Because in this space and in this moment, God is pressing in on the Israelite people. God is pressing in on us in this place and in this moment to say, what you need, I know. What you need, just trust me and I will illuminate it for you. I will show you the way. We too look to trust everything but God. And I know what you might be thinking here. Why should I trust God for some bland bread, some bland, crusty bread that's going to fall onto the ground that I am then going to be able to eat? I mean, really, like, it's just gross. Not even the five-second rule is going to satiate that, right? If I'm hungry, why would I trust God when he's just going to give me some bland, nasty old bread? What I love about the Midrash is that God shows us, that God shows us from a character of love. God gives to us from a character of love. This word give in the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, that that word there is, the, the give is didomai, which means to give from a character of love. That when we actually call out to God, when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, when we actually pray that, what we're praying is, God, give to us from the character of your love. Pour out your love upon us that we may see, that we may know, that we may experience. And please, don't give us the nasty, crusty old bread in the Midrash. The Midrash is a fantastic resource to understanding bits and pieces of of the Old Testament. The Midrash is basically like commentary given by the Jewish rabbis as they sat around and they began to discuss what it looked like in this time and, and, and in Scripture, what it was that God was doing in this place as they began to read in between the lines to understand who God was and what was actually being communicated in the story. We come across some really fascinating understandings in the Midrash. And the first one that is uh, is Exodus Rabbah in 25.3. This is what uh, the, the Midrash says, God brought down for them manna in which all kinds of flavors lodged so that each Israelite could taste it in anything they particularly liked. That God wasn't pouring down nasty, crusty old white bread right? That that, that you were just stuck with white bread every single day and that you would take and you could, you know, I mean, there's only so much you can do with white bread to make it taste good, right? But then earlier in the Midrash, in Exodus Rabbah 5, 9, I think, the manna became converted into so many kinds to suit the capacity of each individual. It's this beautiful image that the manna that is out there is focaccia bread. It's ciabatta bread. It's rosemary olive oil bread. 
It's white bread, but it's also wheat bread and rye bread. There's all these different flavors that are falling down from the sky onto the ground because God is pouring out his love for the people to say, I know what you need, but in the midst of that, I also know that you need to know that I love you. You need to know that I love you and that I want to give you from the goodness of my character, that I want to give you from the goodness of my love, and that what is on the ground is an expression of that. Every morning, they woke up to the manna on the ground which conjures up in me this image of a God who is up all night long, baking all sorts of bread, all sorts of different kinds, because he says, yeah, this, this, this bread right here, this is for Stephanie. And this bread right here, this is for Carlos. This bread right here is for Lydia, and this one's for Kent William, and this one's for Taylor, that God is up all night crafting this beautiful bread for the Israelites, for his children, for his people to say, I love you. God shows us his love through the goodness of his gifts, through the goodness of who he is. And so when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we have a God that is not bestowing upon us nasty, crusty, old white bread, but a God that is giving us from the fruits of his own labor a gift, a gift that we may enjoy, a gift that we may revel in. What do you need? What do you need? Because God knows. And God provides beyond our greatest expectations. Because as we sit in trying to know and understand what it is that we truly need, when we cry out to God, he illuminates it for us through the gifts that he gives. And God only asks of us, that we would receive, that we would sit back and receive what it is that we need, what we need. And our question is, will you trust him? Will you trust that the gifts that he gives, that when we pray, give us this day, our daily bread, will you trust that that is a powerful prayer, that it is a powerful ask connecting with the love of a God who wants to pour it down into and on our lives. Will you trust this God in that space? You see, I believe that God is still speaking to us today. I believe that God has not gone silent. And in this space and in this time, as we have gathered here as a people, as we have gathered here as a community in search of a greater understanding of who this God is, in search of a greater knowledge of who this God is, but also people that are trying to connect with the heart of God and the ways of God here in this place and in this space, I think God is still speaking to us. And so I think he has two questions for us that I, I think he wants us to answer. 
And so I'm going to ask you to actually pull out your phone and open up the notes application or your note-taking application or if your pen and paper, hey, pen and paper is good too. I just know everybody has a phone in this place. Open up your phone, open up that notes application and spend just a few minutes asking yourself this question. What is God saying to you right now? What is God saying to you? What is God telling you right now? And then the second question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? As you hear the story of Israel, as you hear the story of this prayer, as you hear the story of Naven, what is God telling you? And what are you going to do about it? As we prepare ourselves for communion, I'm going to give you the opportunity to stay in your space while you figure this out, while you answer these questions, to, to stay in your space. Communion is an opportunity for us. We do this every single week as a church. We do this every single week as a people. It's an opportunity for us to connect with the heart of God, to connect with the sacrifice, the good gift that God gave us in Jesus, to which we find salvation, to which we find wholeness. In front of us is this loaf of bread, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and a cup of juice, which represents his blood, which was shed for us. What I want you to do is come forward and take a chunk of the bread and dip it in the juice and then return back to your seats and hold on to it. And in just a few moments, together as a church, we will participate in this great act of remembrance, of worship, of celebration. This is for everyone. Communion is open to all who would say, yes, I believe in this Jesus. I am following after this Jesus. If that's not you, if you're not in that space just yet, that's okay. You can stay in your seat and everyone ponder these questions. Write down these questions of what it is that you're going to do as a result of what it is that God is telling you today. But when you're ready, please come. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.